welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. As you know, I get suggestions from some of the listeners, friends, for subjects of this podcast. I got a suggestion for this week's from someone who has just had an unexpected and pretty bad fall, which caused a couple of serious bone breaks. My friend from the hospital bed offered the suggestion about my speaking about pain and suffering. I don't know. Seems like of all the big subjects, and there are an endless number of those, this is one that at least for today's podcast, seems to be almost too big to tackle. But I make no pretense to trying to solve anything. I'm just throwing my own thoughts and feelings and ideas as an ordinary Catholic, the name of the show, to you, other Catholics and other Christians, and anyone who thinks about these subjects And it does raise something, something that just for me today is a problem. Trying to live with the constant burden of things, some bigger and some lesser. I'll get back to this, but even today, I have been incredibly lethargic. I'm just recording this podcast well after I normally do because I haven't been able to get in gear because quite frankly I feel oppressed by everything that's going on around me that's going on around you from the contested election to the COVID pandemic to the COVID lockdown to the sense that my life is not my own which of course it probably never was but I'm sensing it more than ever And so I'm feeling a sense of psychic pain and suffering right now. And when things like that are happening, it's interesting how we begin to think about pain and suffering just as it is happening to us. We are forced to when something bad interrupts our ordinary lives, the ones where we pretend that pain and suffering doesn't happen to me or to anyone else. How do I know that we pretend about pain and suffering? How many of us have said when something bad happens, a loss of a family friend, a child, a relative, a bad diagnosis, a loss of money or property or both, and we say, why me? Lord, why me? Sometimes we don't say, Lord, why me? We just say, why me? It's a strange illusion in a world where suffering and evil surrounds us completely. It's probably a necessary illusion or we wouldn't even get out of bed. And I hate to mention, the bed isn't particularly a protection from suffering and pain or death. I mean, there are earthquakes, for example, here in California, tornadoes in other places that can blow your house away while you're in your bed. And I remember at least one occasion in my old neighborhood where a small plane crashed into an apartment building during the day and killed a man who happened to be in his bed. 
Now there was someone who could arguably legitimately say, why me? But in truth, none of us really can legitimately ask that question. Whether we believe in God or not, pain and suffering is an inevitability for each of us. Generally, it's just a matter of when and how much. People say that some have less suffering than others during life. Personally, I don't think that's necessarily true. It just may appear that way. It's different suffering for each of us, but I'm not sure that it's either less or more, despite appearances. Some suffering, some pain is profoundly visible. Some is invisible to the other, but very much present to the sufferer. But is pain and suffering any better if you are a religious person or trying to be? Actually, aside from my friends having made the suggestion for this podcast, the subject of pain and suffering, I've been thinking about it anyway. I probably have always been thinking about it, even when I was very young, although when I was very young, the weight of it probably wasn't the same because I was young. I've been thinking about how I handle something sudden in the area of pain and suffering, or how I might handle something really big. How does my faith, the one I profess, actually play into these greater and lesser moments of pain and suffering? In the last month or so in particular, I've had a tangible opportunity to give this particular thought. In November, I had a mammogram and it revealed a nodule. Now my mother died of breast cancer over 40 years ago, so it was hard not to go to the extremes of thought, even if today the treatment is so much more likely to cure. It turned out that the nodule was benign. And then, I had a colonoscopy. I had to put it off last year for medical reasons, and finally, five years after my last one, I was in a cubicle surrounded by curtains. On either side of me, there were other individuals getting ready for their procedures with their doctors. I had to wait longer this time than I have in the past for mine to begin. I think it was about a half hour or so. The staff had made me very comfortable even with one of those nice heated blankets they put on you while you do wait. There was nothing to do and nowhere to go with the hydrating IV in my hand. There were voices next to me, one particularly anxious as I recall, and there were those ubiquitous ceiling tiles and fluorescent lights above me. A cliche often used in movies as people are wheeled into the operating room. I had a thought as I was looking at that white ceiling. This could be the last visual I have alive. It wasn't entirely likely. I'd probably be okay, but I do have heart disease and there was some concern and there always is some concern about anesthesia when someone has a comorbidity. It was possible that I might not wake up from the procedure. Well then, I guess I wouldn't have to worry further about suffering, but Was I ready for my particular judgment with God from my religious perspective? Now, there's a subject for another show. Am I or are you ready? So, it was kind of disheartening to look at those 
ceiling tiles. Then there was the other shoe. I wake up and they say, you have colon cancer. I've known plenty of people with that kind of suffering cancer, including my late mother. Everything I know would shift on a dime. The things I normally worry about would drop away, replaced by a very tangible long-term, or depending on how serious, short-term acute suffering. The perfect opportunity to say, why me? So then what? Am I prepared for that? This makes me think yet again of my mother. I've mentioned that my mother's Catholicism was ingrained sufficiently that she, happily, made sure that I was raised a Catholic. Technically, my mother was not told outright that she was a terminal cancer patient. In fact, though this might be hard to believe in these days, she was never told that she had cancer or that she was terminal. I suppose today they would call it something like stage four cancer. Certainly it had metastasized to her liver at the time it was diagnosed. We never used the word cancer in my home while she received chemotherapy. The early stages of chemotherapy in the 1970s. Did she know? She knew, but somehow our never speaking of it worked for her. For me and my father, however, not talking about it, it was a low-grade torture, if there is such a thing. At that point in my life, I wasn't going to church. My mother hadn't been going to church in my memory, and though she was clearly suffering, though I thank God now that it was not as horrific as it could have been for her, there was no acknowledgement of it or solace from it, religiously or otherwise. Recognizing or talking about suffering just wasn't something that happened. I do remember praying to God, sort of, to the extent I prayed at all in those days. I believed in miracles, and yet I didn't expect one in this case. As a now practicing Catholic, when I sit and I look at the crucifix over the altar, there he is, our leader, our founder of the Catholic Church, pinioned to a wooden cross, suffocating as he tries to bear his body weight, having been beaten to a pulp before this final indignity. Well, if I profess this faith, this faith that the suffering has some kind of meaning, I have signed on to a change of view of suffering. When my mother was sick, and I was a non-practicing Catholic, I probably looked at suffering in rather a basic way, as a state of being involving pain and fear and physical and emotional distress. Did she attach this other thing, this Christian thing to it? I wasn't at the time particularly, as something which had a new meaning in light of the death and resurrection of Christ. As I say, I don't know, I can't say, I don't think, my mother or I or my father had any sense in that crushing 14 months before her death of any meaning, new or old. It just was. I'm not even sure that any of us actually said, why me? And if we did, we said it privately. An inevitability it was to be endured. 
Had we been practicing Catholics, would we have lived those 14 months differently? I'd like to say yes, but I'm not sure in light of how even I and people I've talked to who are Catholic tend to look at suffering. Despite what we apparently know, we still fight it. We Catholics also say, why me? I've noticed that we aren't very different, notwithstanding our profession of faith. We Catholic and other Christians have this cosmically profound understanding, ostensibly, of the nature of the transformation of suffering by Jesus Christ, our leader, son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity, the incarnate Lord, partook fully of the suffering of human life unto death, and by so doing, opened this previously closed door. Now, Jesus Christ is someone who could rightly have said, why me? He had, you could argue, an a priori right that no human being can share. Yet, he chose to join in our suffering and die with a promise. In fact, as you know, the New Testament says that he had to suffer. There was no other way to rescue us, but to become us and lead us through that door. In a strange way, by saying, why me, we refuse the gift that he gave to us. If he hadn't come, we'd still suffer. The state of suffering has always existed. The meaningless state of suffering. And why me is a sensible question under those circumstances. Once he did what he did, here is a symmetry of sorts. He had to suffer to give our suffering meaning and then to transfigure it, to eradicate its meaninglessness. Okay, okay, I should get it now, right? If Christ suffered and died so that we could have eternal life, then the suffering, which we would have had anyway, becomes meaningful, and we follow him through that door and into eternal life. Sounds great, right? When I was working in a, essentially a complaint department, people would call us up and uh, they would be complaining about their lawyers, and they would tell us this story, and we would explain to them why we, in many cases, were not able to prosecute the attorneys for the conduct that they claimed was so horrible, and certainly was horrible to them. So, for example, some lawyer was offensive to a client, but we did not, at that point, have any longer a rule against offensive personality. And so the person would listen to you and you'd go through the entire logic of why we had to do what we had to do and why we weren't going to proceed on their case. And at the very end, you'd think that the person understood and then they'd say, but you're going to prosecute them, right? So here I am. Here we are Catholics schooled in the art of suffering, in the nature of suffering, the redemptive nature of suffering, the substitutive nature of suffering. And yet, 
at the end of all of that, we still, by our actions, almost apostatize. We act completely against that which we purport to believe. It's a kind of a, well, Lord, it was good enough for you to suffer, but why me? It's a vicious circle. I complain about the contradictions of our clerical leaders, but heck, look at me. The central part of my faith is the suffering Christ, whose suffering ultimately ends in life eternal, and I'm acting like I never heard the tale. How can I be so immersed in my faith and still not get it? It doesn't have to be acute suffering, like a major sickness or loss, for me to form multiple cuss words in objection to the simple problems of the day, call them simple sufferings. I might not even say or think why me, but my very self falls into a funk which manifests it, and that funk repeats very often. I rationalize. I can't help it. It's just how I feel, given everything. I can't seem to connect to the God who urges me to follow him. Not only do I fail to take up my cross, but I'm trying to kick it out of my sight. It's okay for you, Lord. But after all, you had the second nature, you know. You happen to be God as well as man. I have only one nature, and mine is corrupted. Following you through the door of suffering and death is a mighty proposition, even were I to believe, even though I do believe. It is a diabolical conundrum. Oh, she's bringing in the devil again. But you know what? Whether you believe as I do in this created entity whose refusal to serve its creator and who wants to take fellow creatures down with him, it sure feels like some force gets in the way of our relationship with the sanity, the order, that is God. Call this sense of profound confusion a kind of virus. Follow, if you will, the silence. There is a core truth and some force, I believe, many great thinkers believe, is the devil. And that force blinds us to the gospel that leads to life. That same pride that set in motion this suffering in the Garden of Eden is used by the devil now to perpetuate the suffering while he tells us that the opposite will happen if we listen to him. It's gaslighting on a cosmic scale. When Catholic theology tells us that we are on a battlefield, that's an understatement. God, as creator, will prevail. He will prevail over the devil, who is a creature. Powerful as he is, he is only a creature. But there will be a great loss of individual souls if each of us does not conform to the belief we profess. I am speaking perhaps more to myself than to anyone listening to this podcast. In some ways, this podcast has been a source of grace and sanity for me during this period of COVID. My delusion, or illusion, in spite 
of an intellectual acceptance of the theology of suffering that I not only can escape, but God must spare me the suffering he endured for me, is the result of my inability to trust that what he is saying is true, to trust him, his person, not just his words. I am sure that I share this with many who claim belief, but behave contra to that belief. Trust requires me to do something very difficult. Stop thinking so much. It is possible to think yourself into hell. You don't get to think too much on this battlefield. You have to train yourself for the fight for your soul and then do the fight. I used to think it silly that priests and other practitioners of Catholicism would say that prayer, particularly the rosary, is a weapon, a spiritual weapon. I am only just now starting in my latter decades to see that it is our only hope. Yeah, you can do stuff. You can participate in the world and make a difference individually in helping others. And that is an obligation for us to be charitable. And faith without works is indeed dead. But on the other hand, you can see that all that thinking, all that doubt that thinking generates, if it is not sound thinking, could leave me among the losers in hell while God triumphs with those who held tightly to the cross because they trusted Jesus Christ and his, though very difficult, his words of eternal life. Today, I did not trust. I preferred to stay in my bed till late, trying to blot out, becoming unconscious in sleep. I saw his face when I would wake up in the picture above my bed, and I turned over and away because I was not practicing what I claimed to believe, that my joining, my suffering to his, was part of the work of redemption and a prerequisite of eternal life and really obtaining peace here while we toil in the vineyard. I'm up now recording and soon to be praying the rosary with the church militant. I have this image of him just now sort of reaching his hand out to me as I lay in my bed today and pulling me up, kind of a rescuing me and keeping me in the fight and saying, just today, just today, trust me. And I guess I'm asking God that however inadequately I managed to stay by the cross and the glory of what is the ultimate key to eternal life. Well, with the recognition that being a person of faith is not easy, I close this episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me and invite you to, when you go on to the Podbean site and listen to the show, that you become a follower and that you tell people if you think that the program is of some use and has some help, that you let them know about it. And I will talk to you next week.